thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Guys look pretty ominous out there, don't they? Uh, just a little dark, but you guys brave the weather. I'm uh, so grateful that you are here. And if you're visiting with us today, and we are honored that you would come and to be a part. Today, our heartbeat uh, during this time together is to make much of Jesus and do everything we can to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, I'm excited about a series that we are kicking off in the book of Nehemiah. And so let's begin and let's open in a word of prayer and we'll continue on in worship. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, what a joy it is to gather together today to not only sing your word, but Father, to have your word preached. God, to look to your word for the hope that is eternal in Christ Jesus, Father, to a word that speaks to every arena of our hearts and of our lives. And so God, I pray that all that is done and that will take place in this place today would bring you honor and great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, I also pray that Zach would help me get my TV right out beside me while I preach just to the back left of my shoulder. Even in this moment, <laughs> you are awesome. Thanks, man. Hey, I want to say this. Um, today we launch a series of messages in Nehemiah. And the heartbeat behind these messages, this goal, is simply this. How is it that you and I translate God-sized vision into our everyday reality? How do we translate God-sized vision into our everyday reality? So take your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1. And as you turn there, I want to I make a confession as we start this study. Man, Nehemiah has some pretty shining examples of incredible leadership and vision. But I also want to let you know that he's a pretty flawed leader as well. In fact, we get to the end of the book of Nehemiah, and we find he's pulling out people's hair, okay? Uh, just so you, some of you are all like, I knew I love that guy, right? Ministry can be tough. He's pulling out people's hair. At times, we find in Scripture that there are great leaders who even are flawed. And that is the story of Nehemiah. It reminds me of this meme I love. Uh, if anyone asks you what would Jesus do, remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibility, right? And maybe Nehemiah took that just a little, just a little too far. But now that you're Nehemiah, let's begin to talk about and ask this question. Who is this Nehemiah? This cupbearer turned first generation general contractor. Well, in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 11, we're given just a little bit of insight into Nehemiah's occupation. It simply says this, Nehemiah of himself, I was cupbearer to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. Now, we don't use the term much of the cupbearer. Uh, you're not going to go on Indeed and find a job that just simply says cupbearer to the king. And so we've lost a little bit of the significance of this position because we know this in, in scripture that the cupbearer was a position of power. Why? Because of its proximity to the king. Meaning this, the cupbearer had unfettered access to king, and in that day, King Artaxerxes, who was the king in Nehemiah's time. Unfettered access to the king of Persia. It was a position of great power held by Nehemiah. 
But here's what I want us to do. I want us to ask the question, how did Nehemiah get here? How did this Israelite, this, this man who was part of the people of God, find himself in such a powerful position in a Persian empire? Well, let's do this just for a few minutes. Let's have a little bit of a, a history lesson, if you would. We start in a time where the promised land is divided into two kingdoms. To the north, you have the kingdom of Israel. To the south, you have the kingdom of Judah. And in the midst of this divided kingdom, in 722 BC, a powerful empire, a powerful kingdom by the name of the Assyrians come in and they destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. Not only do they take it over, but they also take so many of the people of God and force them in to slavery. And you go like this, well, Anthony, why, why would God allow this? Why God who's all about, why would God allow this? Well, we find in some of the teaching in 2 Kings chapter 17, and just a couple verses out of this swatch, that we find exactly what had taken place. The children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. And further on, it would say this, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and watch this, he removed them from his sight. Meaning this, that he allowed the Assyrians to come in and to take captive in and to send them off into slavery. You see, God was disciplining his people because of their sin and even more because of his great love for them. Hey, can we just stop for a moment? And can I just remind you something in light of this passage that sin is serious business to God? And we forget that a lot in our culture today. But sin is serious business to God. Even today, right is still right, even if nobody's doing it. And wrong is still wrong, even if everybody's doing it. Sin is wrong. And at the heart of every sin is an act of rebellion and treason against our king and our God. It is a serious offense carrying with it the death penalty spiritually. Thus the hope of the gospel that Jesus came and he took our death penalty for our sin on the cross at Calvary. Yes, as followers of Christ, we are spared God's wrath against our sin. Romans 8, chapter 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But hear me, God still disciplines his kids. Believer, when sin is a part of our story, God still disciplines his kids. As parents, we know one of the toughest things to do is to discipline our kids. But we do it, why? Because we love them. And we don't want them to be terrorists, right? Like, we, we discipline our kids. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you know what I find myself doing sometimes? Disciplining my kids because they're acting exactly like me. You ever done that before? And they get in trouble when they start acting like me. And we discipline our kids because we love them. Hey, hear me. The Lord disciplines those he loves. The Bible teaches us this in Proverbs 3.12 and in Hebrews 12.6 that the Lord disciplines those, the very ones he loves. And we see that playing out here with the people of God. Well, why, did, why did God not stand in the way of this invasion? 
Because this is what God is playing out for his people. Now, back to our history lesson real quick. Answering the question of how how's Nehemiah this cupbearer to this pagan king? Well, after nearly a, a century of the Assyrians, in 605 B.C., God allowed another empire, the Babylonians, to invade the kingdom of Judah. Listen, the Assyrians got Israel. The Babylonians now are taking over Judah. And they're sending so many people, exiling them out of their very homeland. Not only did they take people into captivity and exile them from their home, but we find this, that the Babylonians destroyed the temple of God. The very central place of the worship of God has now been destroyed. Why did God allow it? Well, for the same reasons he allowed it up north, he allowed it down south. Because the people of God, through great mercy and God's grace, still were rebelling against him. Now I want you to take a minute with me. And I want you to imagine with me the chaos. And by the way, when I say chaos, I mean this. Imagine with me how out of control everything must have seemed to the people of God in those days. How out of control the entire world was to them. Can you imagine the chaos and the the hopelessness of the people of God? Man, where was God in all of this? Would any of God's people survive? Would they forever be lost to history? I want to remind you of a truth. A, A truth that we must recognize long before we can ever translate God's size vision into our everyday reality. You ready? That even in the chaos... God is both in control and at work. Behind the scenes, for his glory first, and then for our good. It's the truth you and I have got to come to in the midst of a chaotic world. You see, this was true for the people of God in Nehemiah's day. You see, even though there was chaos, God had made them a promise. Look in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11. God would say this, that this whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon. And watch this, God puts a timetable on it. I'm giving him 70 years. I'm giving him 70 years. And by the way, guess what happened? At the end of 70 years, the kingdom of Babylon collapses. Here's the question. Uh, When are we just going to realize that God never breaks his promises? And that God is the promise keeper. And so in this history, we go from the Assyrians to the Babylonians. And now we find on the historical stage, God raised up Cyrus the Great the leader of the powerful Persian Empire, which absorbed both the kingdom of Israel and Judah under his rule. In fact, this, by the way, was part of God's plan too. We find this long before in Isaiah 44, verse 28. God said this of King Cyrus. He is my shepherd, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple. Your foundation shall be laid. You see, what had happened was was God raised up this Persian king with a heart to set his people free, to allow them to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple of God, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians. In fact, in closing in this little history lesson today, 
Beginning with the reign of Cyrus, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah focuses in on three key leaders. Number one, Zerubbabel, who would lead nearly 50,000 Jews back into Jerusalem. His task, rebuilding the temple of God. And then 60 years later, there was Ezra. He would bring the law of God, the word of God back. And his task was building the spiritual life of the people of God again. And then there's Nehemiah. This cupbearer turned first generation contractor, general contractor. Here he comes with God-sized vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Thus, under Artaxerxes, now the king of Persia, Nehemiah rises to the ranks of cupbearer. A powerful position. And you know what we begin to see in this short little history lesson? What looked like chaos to the people of God during the invasion of the Assyrians and the the captivity of the Babylonians and the conquest of the Persians was evidence that what? That God was in control and at work even behind the scenes to do two things. To bring his people back to him and to bring his people back home. A.W. Tozer said it this way, and I love it. He says, while things look like they are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. And so Nehemiah chapter 1, let's begin to read. And these are the words, Ezra writes, of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, by the way, which is somewhere between November and December, depending on the year, And the Bible says in the 20th year, and that 20th year means in the reign of the 20th year reign of King Artaxerxes, he says this, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Now we know this from history, the citadel of Susa was where Persian kings went into the winter and they they had a retreat place there, pretty nice setup. But didn't something else happen in the citadel of Susa in the word of God? You remember what else took place there? Hey, wasn't that the same place that Esther was forced into a beauty pageant before King Xerxes, the the dad of King Artaxerxes? Wasn't the citadel of Susa where Esther was chosen to be queen of Persia? And absolutely, so let's piece this together. So that would also mean that at the very least, Queen Esther is the stepmother of, of the now King Artaxerxes, who Nehemiah is cupbearer to. And without question, the love and the courage of Esther not only saved the Jews from the hands of Haman and the annihilation he wanted to bring to them, but also Esther's influence on both her husband, King Xerxes, her now stepson, King Artaxerxes, moved in to act with kindness and favor towards her people, the Jews. So without question, as Esther 4.14 reminds us that Esther had come to this royal position for a time such as this, it would allow Nehemiah favor in the king, in King Artaxerxes' eyes. Now, now you're, some of you are like, wait, wait, Anthony. I, I can't do all this history. You, you lost me. There's a citadel. Who's Susa? It, you, you're a little bit lost in the history. You can't follow it, really. And it's okay I share it with you to remind you of this, that in God's kingdom, there is no such thing as coincidence. That even in the chaos, God is both in control 
And God is at work behind the scenes. Now watch as Nehemiah fleshes this out just a little bit more. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And watch this. Nehemiah says, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Man, how about those guys Zerubbabel brought over and Ezra brought over? How's it going? And he said, I also asked about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. He says this, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Now guys, we're going to spend next week talking all about this. And watch this, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept. For Sundays I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Here's what I want you to begin to see. That as we begin to focus in on the vision of Nehemiah over the next few weeks, I want you to know that when I speak of Nehemiah's vision, I'm not speaking of an angel coming to Nehemiah with the message. I'm not speaking of a visual manifestation of the spiritual world. I'm not talking about an audible voice of God. I'm not speaking of a dream. What was Nehemiah's vision? You ready? It came through some bad news that burdened him, that weighed heavy on him. And in verse 12 of Nehemiah chapter 2, we're reminded of this, that God had then put his vision on Nehemiah's heart. Hey, by the way, this is the type of vision most believers today experience most of the time. Vision that is birthed from, from burden, brought about by the moving of God on a believer's heart. And a vision that translates into what? Into action. And here's the key, church. Most God-sized vision comes in moments of great chaos. Most God-sized vision comes in moments of great chaos. We're going to explore this a little bit more next week. But here's what I come to the conclusion of this morning. That chaos seems less chaotic when we realize that God is both in control and at work behind the scenes. No matter the chaos, God refuses to relinquish his throne or to hand over his crown. And it's in that chaos at times that God will give you and that God will give me vision. Andy Stanley in his book, Visioneering, said this, Vision brings your world into focus. Vision brings order to chaos. A clear vision enables you to see everything differently. And we look to the story of Nehemiah who lived in what is chaotic times. He was born in exile, was cut bare to a pagan king, and the walls of his hometown were broken. Yet God would put his vision on Nehemiah's broken heart. A vision that would bring his world into focus, would bring order to his chaos, and enable Nehemiah to see everything, everything differently. You see, God's vision convinced Nehemiah that God was both in control and he was at work, even behind the scenes. Let me ask you this, are you convinced? Are, are you convinced in your life that, that, that God is both in control and at work, even amidst the chaos? Let, let me ask you this, where's your chaos coming from? 
Who or what is making your life chaotic? Now, I want to say this, because we gloss over this way too much. If it is your own sin and rebellion causing you chaos, there is only one way forward for you out of the chaos, and that is this, you ready? Repent of your sin and walk obedient to the Word of God. Not all chaos happens to us. A lot of times, chaos happens because of us, right? All too often, the sabotage of my life is an inside job. We're reminded of that. But what if chaos is happening to you, not, not, not because of you? You ready? Like Nehemiah, you must be convinced that the God who created you, who loves you, who at times disciplines you, who saved you through grace by faith in Jesus Christ, is the same God that no matter the chaos in your life, who is both in control and at work behind the scenes. We've got to be bought in. We've got to be bought into him. That he's both in control and at work behind the scenes. You know, as a as a church uh, plant, we're pretty young. Seven months ago, we launched a five-year vision. Seven months ago, five-year vision. Man, folks thought we were crazy. Every study I did about churches and vision, man, we don't do that three years in, especially considering we've lived over half of our life as a church in a pandemic. Whoever taught that in school, right? And, but yet, we have this incredible five-year vision to see many people saved and baptized, a church continuing to grow, to help plant four to five different more churches, a thousand people in groups and serving and, and students and college young adults and, and unreached people groups reach, which we're so excited soon enough to share with you ministry there. A main campus of Connect Church and Connect Christian Academy done for the sun to never set on Connect Church missions. Open, open a coffee shop that employs individuals with special needs. And just so much in the next five years that we're asking God to do. A future home for a growing church. Connect Christian Academy to offer a Christian education option with excellence in our community. For a church growing in every area, just incredible. Talk about chaos. Trusting God to accomplish this vision in a pandemic, during inflation, with fears of recession, and a war in a world torn by geopolitical tension. Yet behind the scenes, in what is all the chaos, we are convinced that both God is in control and that God is at work. Seven months in to our new church plant, you guys have pledged some 2.3 million dollars for the first phase of, of purchasing land. In the first seven months, you've pledged $2.3 million. Right now, sitting in your church's bank account is nearly $1.7 million of those dollars in what is a chaotic time. Just absolutely incredible. I want to say thank you for those who've given. Hey, by the way, if you've not, you know when a good time to start is? Today. Maybe, maybe the truth is as God moves your heart towards that, then we encourage you to come on and invest right alongside of us. You can begin that today. But you know, one of the biggest questions I feel today concerning our vision 
is this. Man, why haven't you bought land yet? You try to buy land recently? In Sevier County? I have, and my team has prayed over every piece of property in our target area that is for sale and property that is not for sale in our target area. We have worked hard to find the right land, and here's the deal, at the right price. But also, you got to know this, we are working as hard as we can to to do as much of this vision as we can debt-free. To do it debt-free. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if you've ever tried to raise $1.7 million in seven months, but really it's a God thing. It really it is a, a, a God thing. So what we're doing is, is we're working hard not to go into debt. So instead of financing land and hoping we can raise enough cash to pay it off later, I wanted us to position Connect Church to sit at a table with any landowner and offer them cash for their land. By the way, $1.7 million is one heck of a negotiation tool. Cash on hand. Yes, we do have land we want. It is a slow process. In some of the land that we're looking at, infrastructure still needed to be put in place so that we can price the land and make an offer. As I said seven months ago, I believe this, that God is going to give us the right land, but it must be at the right time for him. I can't wait to see how he's going to do it. Even in the chaos that is the land acquisition market in Sevier County, God is both in control and he is at work behind the scenes for his glory and our good as a church. You know, whether it's as a church collectively or as you, the church, individually, chaos around us will try to convince us that everything is out of control. But we are reminded today through the life of Nehemiah That behind the scenes, God is both in control and at work. So here's a question. What is it again that is introducing chaos into your story? What what bad news like Nehemiah received? Hey, is is it bad news physically or medically? Bad news relationally, financially, vocationally, politically, globally? What has you in chaos in your life? You know, last year I I listened to a young lady speak at her daddy's funeral. It was televised nationally, and it was on Facebook Live. And her faith in the midst of chaos, something that still has stuck with me. Um, This is Officer Richard Houston. In December of last year, he responded to a disturbance in a grocery store parking lot. And as he went to go and assist and to give help, man, an evil man opened fire on Richard, taking his very life. You know, over the past two years, we've watched chaos erupt in our communities and on the streets of America. Our heroes in our community, our our law enforcement officers have taken so much of the brunt of the violence, and it is wrong. It is disgusting. Here we have an officer just doing what God had called him to do. 
And he paid for it with his very life, leaving behind his wife and his three kids. And this is his oldest daughter, Shelby. I got to thinking just how this family's life was plunged into chaos by an act of evil. Evil. And then I listened to her talk at her daddy's funeral. I want to share with you just some, um, some excerpts of what she said for a moment. And here's what she would say. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. She said, every time I just heard those stories, you begin just to think, you begin to think about not only the person who died, but even the suspect who killed them. And she said this, I always wrestled with how the suspect was treated. She said, not that I didn't think there should be justice, sir, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus, their actions being a reflection of that. And then she said, people would tell her, I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. And then she said at her daddy's funeral, but as it happened to my own father, I think I feel the same way. She shared that she has felt anger and sadness and grief and, and confusion. Guys, all words of chaos. And part of her wishes she shared that she wishes she could despise the man who killed her father. But she said, I, I can't get my heart to hate him. All I can do is find myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus, she said. I thought this might change if the, if the man continued to live, but when I heard news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. And listen to the words of this girl, this young girl who's lost so much. My prayer is someday that down the road, I get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, but to simply tell him about Jesus. Shelby and her family devastated by bad news. Chaos thrust upon them. They were convinced that God was both in control and at work even behind the scenes. They're living out the truth of the promise found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. That we know in all things, watch this, you ready? That God works for the good of those who love him. That God is at work for the good of everyone in this room who loves him. Because behind the scenes, of all the chaos of this world in your life, there's a God who's both in control and he is at work. So Anthony, how, how, how do I sleep tonight? If there's chaos going on in your heart and your life, man, how is it that, that I go home and I go to bed? Well, well number one, let, let your pillow be the sovereignty of God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the believer rests their head at night. What does God's sovereignty mean? You ready? That he is in absolute control. That nothing that happens to you or because of you catches him off guard. And at no point is he, is he sitting on his throne going, man, what are we going to do? Let your pillow be the sovereignty of God. Number two, 
instead of counting sheep tonight, why not try talking to the shepherd? Our good shepherd, who in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says to us, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Anthony, how do I sleep tonight? Rest assured tonight that even in the chaos, God is both in control and at work behind the scenes for his glory in your good. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.